Excuse me. Sir? We're officers of the law. You gonna run me in? I don't feel like talking. I'm distraught. Hey, Benny, you wanna ask this guy some questions? All right, what is this? What's this arrangement? Mr. Drysdale. CSI KFC? and salutations everyone and welcome to the unfranchised this week on the pod we are going to discuss knives out the twisty new whodunit from the last jedi writer director ryan johnson that is now playing in theaters my name is robert taylor as usual Stuart smith joins me for this third episode of this still very new podcast we've gotten a lot of support and positive feedback from friends colleagues and listeners for the first two episodes of The Unfranchised, which we really appreciate. Thank you for listening. Keep listening. And if you can, help us spread the word. The more you shine the light on us, the more we can shine the light on original, non-franchise films that are out there in theaters or on home streaming services just waiting to be watched. So in a few minutes, we're going to get the knives out. But I want to warn everyone now that it's almost impossible to talk about this movie without getting into some spoilers. So I am going to throw up a moderate to heavy spoiler warning on this episode. Now, we will not reveal the film's biggest twists, but we will be talking about some plot stuff that honestly, you'd be better off not knowing before you see the film. You should probably do that first. So consider this your spoiler warning. If you continue listening without having seen Knives Out at this point, that's on you. Before we get into Knives Out, though, let's briefly recap the career of one Ryan Johnson, a filmmaker who, after the mixed response to The Last Jedi, could probably stew... Okay, no, 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 Could probably... Let me finish. Could probably best be described as contentious? Okay, it made over a billion dollars... At the box office. That is not a mixed response. You had a mixed response well, from the hardcore Star Wars fan base, but it's pretty safe to say that the public at large really enjoyed that movie. Okay, I'll agree that the public at large didn't care. And we're, we're I don't want to get, we are going to discuss The Last Jedi a little bit during this podcast. I don't want to do it quite all right now. Can we say it's contentious in the Star Wars fan base then? Or the yeah, but Star the Wars Star Wars fan base is kind of terrible, so who cares? <laughs> Sometimes. Okay, I want to go movie by movie here in chronological order, just really quick here, Stu. So we I'm can all fig- for it. We can figure out where we stand on Ryan Johnson. His debut feature, was, I believe, was Brick. Brick was indeed his debut feature. Brick is a very good little high school noir mystery film. Uh, if you're going to see another Ryan Johnson film before you see Knives Out, I would say watch Brick. It's probably the most closely related. It's a good movie. I remember at the time being a little annoyed by it because I remember some of my film fan buddies and online people crowing about how it was vastly superior to that terrible yet similar show on TV called Veronica Mars, which was absolutely not true. I actually, if I had to pick, Veronica Mars was the better high school detective noir piece of pop culture entertainment. 
But Brick is a very good movie. See, I'm the exact opposite. I just I could not get into Veronica Mars at all. And Brick kind of blew me away. You know, it, it took this sort of thing that this idea that shouldn't necessarily work. Uh, you know, whether it's Veronica Mars or Brick, I mean, it, it just, you know, high school, hardcore, you know, or hard boiled, you know, noir detective story, uh, but with hyper stylized dialogue and all that. I mean, that that's just that's almost like that's asking for a recipe for disaster. I mean, that just screams pretentious, especially from, you know, a first time director or whatever. But I I, I thought it was great. Uh, it was a revelation uh, watching Joseph Gordon Levitt. In that, because I had only ever really seen him, uh, you know, do Third Rock from the Sun. Right. Uh, so, you know, seeing him do this was great. Uh, I, you know, I, it's, it's about as promising a start to a career, you know, with a nothing budget movie as you could probably hope for. I think the movie probably is a little pretentious, but you know what? That's not always a bad thing. That's okay. I think it's a good movie. Certainly a good debut. Uh, second film was The Brothers Bloom, which I have not seen. Have you, Stu? I have seen it. Unfortunately, I've only seen it once, and it's been a long time. But, and I, I really need to, uh, I really need to go back to it because I mean, in general, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Johnson's work, and going to Brothers Bloom after Brick was interesting because it's, it's not where you would kind of expect, you know, the guy who made Brick to go. Uh, it's, it's very much in a, in a fairly different direction you know so it was a little hard for me i mean i enjoyed it i thought it was great i mean watching you know mark ruffalo and and um oh crap what's his name adrian brody uh you know watching them interact was great uh you know i mean it's it's a fun it's a very fun movie stylish i mean rachel weiss is great in it uh but you know i honestly don't remember a whole lot of it uh, beyond the uh you know beyond the performances so it's it's you know i can't say a whole lot about it because it's been Oh, God, well over a decade since I last saw it. So then his third film and kind of his breakout film was Looper, a science fiction film, again, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis. And I haven't seen Looper in a long time, but it's about hitmen who travel through time and Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis play younger and older versions of the same character. And I, Stu? The concept of Looper is that you know, hitmen exist and they are, uh, you know, they uh, fulfill a, a certain, uh, you know, amount of time as a hitman. And then uh, at some point, you know, because whenever whenever they do these hits, uh, like body disposal is an issue, right? Okay, yeah. So body disposal is an issue. So these hitmen are always sent to a specific time, uh, to a specific place at a specific time. And they're supposed to kill immediately whoever just blips right up in front of them because they've been sent, uh, you know, from the future to be to be murdered. Uh, and eventually, you will end up killing yourself. You know, that's just that's how the loop goes. Okay. That's why they're called loopers. Okay. However, Joseph Gordon-Levitt hesitates when his future self uh, shows up in front of him because these, uh, you know, these. These victims are supposed to show up, uh, you know, with a bag over their head, hands tied. But uh, Bruce Willis, who plays, you know, future Joseph Gordon-Levitt, manages to appear in front of him without a hood. So they recognize each other. He hesitates in pulling the trigger. And so now the chase is on 
uh, you know, so that he can kill himself. Okay. Essentially. So let me tell you what I remember about Looper, because I, I, it sounds like you've seen it more than me, considering I was a little fuzzy on the particulars. <laughs> I've only I've seen, I, I've seen it. I've seen. I saw it like at least two times in the theater. One time, uh, like Johnson released a an original commentary track that you could queue up like on your on an iPod and listen to during uh you know during the theatrical presentation, which I thought was really cool. Okay, I, I've only seen Looper once. I didn't see it until I was able to watch it at home. It was pretty much universally acclaimed within sort of the film geek community at that point. And I thought it was okay, but I distinctly remember it feeling way too overstuffed. And for example, what, what the plot, which you just described sounds like a very solid you know, pitch or anchor for a science fiction movie. But then I distinctly remember there are also like people with psychic ability, telekinesis in this movie and like other science fiction sort of tropes are brought in. And I remember, I just remember thinking when there's like this time travel movie that already features hitmen who are assigned to, who are assigned to kill their time traveling selves. Why do we also now have like people with telekinesis running around and stuff? I just remember thinking it was way too much. It's it's one of those things where I it, it's it's a pretty ambitious movie because it doesn't offer really any kind of explanation or context, you know, for the fact that, you know, a lot of people just kind of have telekinetic powers. Uh, and so th- I, I think the intent was to just kind of have this weird bit of world building, you know, just kind of you just kind of have to accept it and roll with it. And uh, you're not the only person that I've that I've talked to that has, that takes issue, uh, you know, with, with the, you know, the mind powers and stuff. Uh, it just seems just, like one too many things for that movie. I, and, I and quite, I don't, quite I don't frankly, I this is, can be a consistent issue with Ryan Johnson. Cause again, we're going to talk about the last Jedi in a minute. I don't but, know that it necessarily, uh, you know, detracts from the movie. Um, I think the movie would have been fine if you had taken it out. But I, you know, I, I I like it. I I think it's a nice bit of flavor. It's you know, it's not something that you normally see in this sort of kind of high concept type of movie. Usually, it's like you know, one concept per movie like this, and you know, you don't you don't typically mix <laughs> mix ideas like that. So I, yeah, I, I at the very least, I I admired the ambition that he was going for with that. He, I will agree and state unequivocally right here that Ryan Johnson is a very ambitious filmmaker, which is a good thing. Absolutely. Uh, sometime around this time, shortly after this, he started directing episodes of Breaking Bad here and there. He actually directed the episode titled Ozymandias, which is maybe the greatest episode of television in the history of television. I don't know how much credit we can give Ryan Johnson for that, you know, considering it's a TV directing gig. TV's on right. a different beast. But well, hey, he also did. He, he had, also did the episode. Uh, what was it? The Fly? Yeah, Fly, which is another. Which, it's a. Which one that, of the best think, bottle episodes of TV ever? Yes. I was going to say that one. I think you can completely chalk up to to his direction, just because. I mean, there's almost like there's almost no dialogue in that episode at all. Yeah. Like it's just it's this one concept, you know, like you said, bottle episode type things. I, the way he handled that episode was great. Yeah, he he basically was handed two very tricky Breaking Bad episodes, and those are two amazing episodes, so we'll give him a pat on the back for those, and then catch back up with his movie career, where he next 
writes and directs Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Which, a movie that no one has opinions on <laughs> anywhere ever. Which, Stu, I believe you and I are both on the record plenty of times over <laughs> that we really like that movie. I know you like it more than me, but yeah. we, we both think it's yeah. a very good we're, Star Wars movie. We're correct? both fans. Yeah. We're both fans. We're fans. I've said this over and over and over again, but for people who might not know us and are, you know, things we think, you know, maybe they're new to the podcast. Maybe they're new to us. I've said it millions of times. The stuff about The Last Jedi that Star Wars nerds complain about the most, which is sort of Luke Skywalker, where he's at in the movie, some of the decisions he makes in the movie, uh, the decisions made regarding Rey and her parentage, some of the decisions made regarding Rey and Kylo Ren. Those are the best parts of that movie. I take no issue with any of that. The way Ryan Johnson writes Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi is it's definitely unexpected, but it's fantastic. It's probably way more interesting than if they would have just picked it up like he's the same guy he was at the end of Return of the Jedi. If they had if if Johnson had written Luke as, you know, the the expected, you know, badass Jedi Master that so many people wanted and expected, it probably would have been good. I probably would have enjoyed that. You know, like, I mean, who who wouldn't necessarily want to see that? But what he did do was so much more interesting. I agree. And so much more enriching and so much more, uh, it adds so much, just, it adds so many more layers to this universe, to these characters, to the ideas of, you know, who and what the Jedi are, um, you know, that it, it just it just goes beyond anything that, OK, here he go, he you know, he takes it takes on the entire empire with a laser sword. I agree. Um, I have very real issues with The Last Jedi that uh, you and I have talked about ad nauseum. I don't like Finn's storyline. I have issues with Poe's storyline. Again, I think it's another movie where he gets too ambitious, where Ryan Johnson gets too ambitious. He's throwing in you know, commentary on arms dealers selling to both sides of the galactic war. And there's just, this movie is just so stuffed and I don't think everything works. And I think Ryan Johnson's ambition bites him a little bit in the ass when you get away from sort of the Ray Kylo Ren Luke stuff. But you know what? I'd rather see an ambitious star Wars movie. That's 70 or 80% successful than uh, something like Rogue One, which you know I dislike, which is just like <laughs> paint by numbers Star Wars, like just basic level one fan servicey stuff. I'll take the ambition, even if it doesn't all work. Anything you'd like to add to that, Stu? Nothing that wouldn't necessarily get us into another forty-five minute discussion about the Last Jedi. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Let's move on. But okay, so what we're saying is. You know, Brick, we both like. Looper, I think's okay-ish. You like. The Last Jedi, we both like. So this is a... Ryan Johnson is a writer and director who's, you know, putting out films we enjoy. Who Who's someone... Whenever he has a new film coming out, it's worth taking note of because it's a Ryan Johnson feature. Correct? You know that he's at least going to going to try and do interesting things with it. You're not, you're not just going to get some kind of boilerplate, uh, you know, expected result. Even, you know... Solid, you know, well-crafted, but, you know, there's nothing surprising in it. He's going to swing for the fences in some way. Which brings us to Knives Out, the movie we are here to talk about today, which is now playing in theaters. 
The story of Knives Out. Knives Out is a, it's sort of a traditional whodunit. Now, it's not traditionally constructed like most whodunits are. And again, spoiler warning, we're going to get into some of that a little bit later. But it is definitely set up as sort of a traditional, in the traditional mystery whodunit genre. It's but, very much a classic Agatha Christie drawing room, you know, murder mystery setup. It, it moves beyond that drawing room. Uh, in a way that a lot of those, the most, you know, classic versions of this genre don't do. Uh, but it's, it is absolutely built on that classic foundation of, you know, uh, you know, Poirot mysteries and, and things like that. I mean, absolutely. So Clue is, Clue is one of his favorite movies, you can tell. Well, I can tell by the end credits, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that too. Um, so anyway, uh, here's the basic lowdown. Christopher Plummer plays Harlan Thromby, who is a very wealthy uh, mystery writer. He's like 85 years old. He's having a birthday party with his somewhat large extended family, who are a sort of an oddball assortments of hanger-ons and ne'er-do-wells. He ends up in his study with his throat slit, and the game is afoot. As they say, uh, the police are brought in to start conducting interviews, as is Benoit Blanc, a very southern, deep fried detective played by Daniel Craig in a role about as far removed from James Bond as you can get. And at that point, it's basically set up. And like I said, the movie definitely throws some more turns into it and to how it's constructed. But it's basically set up as a murder mystery where Daniel Craig is tasked with finding out. Who killed Harlan Thromby? I, I, I lo- let's just get in right up front. Let's state some opinions, too. And I love this movie. In a second episode of our podcast, we did The Lighthouse, Robert Eggers' period horror film. I said at the time it was probably my favorite movie of 2019. It's not anymore because I think Knives Out is now my favorite movie of 2019. And I think it's easily Ryan Johnson's best film overall. You know, God, I'm gonna. I I would need to even sit down and remember what I saw this year, uh, but it is. I can say unequivocally that it is some of the most fun uh, that I have had and will have in a theater in 2019. I mean, it's just it is just a complete delight from start to finish. Everybody involved is firing on all cylinders. I mean, every actor, no matter uh, how big or small their part, is just just having an absolute ball uh, playing in this. Uh, and yeah, and I would agree. I mean, even, even as someone who considers the last Jedi to be, you know, in the top three best star Wars movies, uh, this is, this is definitely his best film. I, I would, would absolutely, absolutely agree with that. So you mentioned the cast. Let's break it down. This movie stars Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Anna de Armas, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Tony Collette, Lakeith Stanfield, um, even you get Christopher Plummer, and then even you get down to like the bit parts, and it's people that like Edie Patterson and Ricky Lindholm, who like are, are extremely talented people who have a, you know a lot of people enjoy their work, and they're in Noah tiny Segan. Bit, Frank Oz. I mean, that's yeah. that's a crazy good cast. I get the feeling that Noah Segan's part is basically Ryan Johnson in this movie. Well, he's in Noah Segan's in all his movies, right? No, yeah, they're they're best friends okay, like there forever. Go. 
And it's interesting because Tony Collette and Michael Shannon are better actors than basically the parts they're given here. They're better than the kind of smallish one-dimensional parts they're given here. But because these roles are played by actors of the caliber of Michael Shannon and Tony Collette, and because we're meant to be guessing about who the murderer is, it ends up just working really well that these, you know, impressive actors are filling out all these parts. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where the material is good. And if it were played by a lesser actor, it would still be good. But, you know, these people are, are able to just add, you know, nuance just by, just by being there, just by being who they are as actors. Right. You it's know, like, and you can you can you can see the you know these things these layers this nuance uh, that maybe isn't necessarily there on the page, but that's precisely why Ryan Johnson cast them because he knew what they were capable of and what they'd be able to do. Right. Again, and Tony Collette is playing like this this widow who's a, who's a little <laughs> dit she's kind of ditzy and she's like she's, a, a, she's like a self identified lifestyle guru and it's she's just, a lifestyle guru influencer who's also a gold digger and and the part how do I want to say this uh well no I mean I I get what you're saying it's like you know she she's playing it's it was actually kind of jarring at first uh watching her in this role because it, you know a kind of ditzy uh, sort of grown up valley girl type person is not who you expect uh, Tony Collette to be and, playing. And, but she can do it. She, Tony Collette. Oh, she amazing. absolutely can. And she absolutely like, nails that, it. But it's that still... character doesn't. It pretty much stays one dimensional through the course of the movie. And Tony Collette yeah. is better than that. But because you have Tony Collette here, she's fantastic in the part. It gives balance to the movie. And you have to seriously consider her as a suspect because it's Tony fucking Collette. Exactly. Um, Don Johnson, between this and Watchmen, can we officially say we're in the Don Johnson renaissance? The Don johnson renaissance? Because I would like that. <laughs> you know, the, the, the Don johnson renaissance, uh has been going on for uh, a little bit now. Because, uh, I mean, wasn't he was in uh, Django Unchained, right? Yes, he was. Yeah, and so... Um, which it's it's slightly unfortunate that you know some of his most high profile stuff uh has been him you know playing racists <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes which i i hope that doesn't necessarily say something but all the same i mean he's just i don't know i mean i i guess everybody still just kind of thinks of him as 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 Crockett from Miami Vice and he's just, it's a shame that you know, that no one really has taken better advantage of him than uh, kind of what's been going on over the last several years, because he's he's great. He's he's so much fun. I've been a pretty big fan of Don Johnson ever since he he played the the heavy, the smarmy heavy in Tin Cup, the Kevin Costner golf romantic comedy, which is probably the most underrated sports movie ever made. I don't and think I've ever seen it. You should watch it. Don Johnson's he's great in it. He plays he's kind of the villain of the romantic comedy piece, but he's really good. See, that's the I guess that's the frustrating thing about Don Johnson is that he's always been good. You know, he's always been you know, he's always been a really solid performer, but for you know, whatever reason he just kind of never uh, broke bigger after Miami Vice for whatever reason. So let's get into there are a couple things that makes this movie really, really great. 
And I mean, part of it is just it's a really good, solidly well-constructed mystery. But I mean, you would need to have that just as a baseline for this to work at all. And it is that. It's a just what I said. It is a very smartly well-put-together mystery where everything makes sense at the end. There are clues there. It, it just it all comes together quite nicely. There are a couple of things that I think allow Knives Out to rise even above that. One is that about a third to a halfway through the movie, it starts twisting what we expect from this genre. In particular, the who of the who done it is essentially revealed before the halfway point of the movie. Is that fair to say, Stu? Yeah, that'd be, yeah, that's fair. And then it turns into sort of a different kind of who done it where we're wondering... It's a whodunit within the whodunit. Right, it's where we're wondering if characters who may be complicit might get away with it. If we want them to get away with it, which we might, <laughs> there are more twists upon that that kind of turn it into a more traditional whodunit again by the film's end. It is, as expected, a very twisty movie, but it never runs on the off the rails. It never gets too convoluted for its own good. It all makes sense by the end. I just thought that, that the structure of it was fairly ingenious, especially considered that the, mis the you know, the murder ap appears solved, I don't know, 50 minutes or 60 minutes in. But, but as Benoit Blanc says, there's, you know, it's, it's a donut with a donut with a donut and you fall down, and you fall down the donut <laughs> hole, right, Stu? Absolutely. And yeah, I, I thought that that was, it was, I really want to, I want to and kind of need to see this again because, you know, when you first watch, you know, what happened, happened very early on, you're like, okay, there's got to be more of a twist here. Somebody's lying more. All right, come on. All right, where, where's the, you know, where, where's the rug going to get pulled out from under? Um, and and it kind of does, but never in the way that you would expect. And it's 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 not on the level of like deconstructing, you know, this you know the genre of whodunits or whatever. I agree, it's not. But but, but it's definitely playing with conventions uh, in a way that not a lot of of you know movies and stories of this sort ever really try to do. I think Ryan Johnson is able to kind of disarm your expectations um whatever you're expecting to get you know what you're expecting to get out of this movie is there's a murderer we think it's this person we know we think it's this person no we think it's this person surprise it's actually this person uh handcuffs end of movie i mean that's traditionally what we're expecting from this kind of locked room whodunit right but that's not the way this movie unfolds it's actually far more clever than that i think and I think that allows it to sort of rise above if it was more more traditionally structured. Second thing, Knives Out is surprisingly political. At least I was surprised. I mean, I I guess I shouldn't have been surprised because we've we've talked about Ryan Johnson's always trying to jam extra stuff into his movies. He jams a political subtext into here. And but whereas in his past movies, I would say it's too much, Ryan. It's too much. I actually think it works fantastic here. I think it sort of fits the film perfectly. 
I don't know that it's necessarily subtext. I mean, it's pretty. Yeah. Okay, it's, but it's okay. It's pretty much the text at but. the beginning of the movie when they're yelling at each other about politics, like around the dinner table or whatever. It's kind of subtext then, but by the end of the movie, it's text. It's interesting because you know, I mean, it both is a political statement, but it's also, I mean, it's very much just reflective of the time that we live in. I mean, that's that's the kind of argument and and discussion and. And whatnot, uh, that would go on. Uh, I, I mean, especially among, you know, these sorts of peoples and the circles that they're in. Uh, I, what I actually found really interesting is that, you know, you can tell that Ryan Johnson is extremely online, you know, with a lot of the, you know, the, the jargon and, and, uh, terminology and phraseology that he, that he throws around, especially when it comes to, um, you know, pejoratives and stuff like that, that, that some of the characters throw at each other. Uh, regarding, you know, you know, politics and, 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 you know, social justice warriors and stuff like that. It, it's, it's interesting. It's not something that you really see uh, a whole lot of in, especially, you know, movies very much of the moment right now. The, this is not something I expected to say on the podcast before I saw this movie, but Knives Out could honestly be read as a parable about how Immigrants are largely good people and deserve good things to happen to them way more than asshole white folks do. And it's a lot about white privilege and it's a lot about sort of inherent, quote unquote, nice racism. And I did not think this movie would be about any of these things. And it's about all of them. It It is about all of them. And it's also done. I mean, it's not beating you over the head with it, although that, you know, the 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 last shot kind of hammers it home. Yeah, I mean, the last shot comes the closest to anything. It, it comes the closest to anything in the movie to, like, beating you over the head <laughs> with what's, you know, with what's being said necessarily. But uh, but it still works. I mean, it's it's earned, I think. It's absolutely earned. In, in a lesser movie, I would say, you know what, this is added texture and added commentary that this movie didn't need. And I've seen similar additions in other Ryan Johnson movies that didn't work for me. I think it just naturally, perfectly is integrated into this film. It doesn't, the political commentary doesn't overshadow the film. It's, it's, it's not a political film more than it is a murder mystery or a whodunit. It is absolutely those things first. But the political undertones or overtones as it may be, I thought it was basically a, a nice addition and was able, it was another way that, was another thing that elevated the film above sort of a traditional genre piece. It fits because it is a reflection of what's going on right now. Yeah, it, it's, it makes it a movie very much of its time, which that'll be interesting to see how it plays in 10 years if the United States is still here and we still go to the movies or watch movies. <laughs> but, um. <laughs> no, <laughs> we can only go see documentaries about Dear Leader. <laughs> That sounds scarily accurate, Stu. Yeah, so it may date the film a little bit down the the line, but in the here and now, I just thought it was just it was just a wonderful, surprising addition to the movie. Now let's talk about Ana de Armas, who should be the biggest female movie star on the planet. Correct? Uh, if she, she I think she will be soon enough because she's in the new Bond movie too. You know, she should be Catwoman. She should be. I, you know, I mean, I would be. I I like Zoe Kravitz. I'm curious to see what she does with it. I, uh, I have Ms. De, Ms. De Armas would have been uh, a delightful pick as well. I I have nothing against Zoe Kravitz. I'm sure she'll be great. She's in maybe the best movie of the last ten years. 
and I once I saw that Ana de Armos was a finalist and potentially the other finalist. Uh, I wish they would have went that way, but 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 it's because I'm in love right now, Stu. <laughs> I mean, basically, and she's well, really hey. and she's really really good in this. I mean, she's well, hey. she's now, probably now. she's the cast member that most of like just regular non film buff audience members aren't going to know, and she way more than holds her own she practically i would say uh, her and craig carry the film at times oh absolutely i mean they're they're the two that that have the most uh you know the most screen time overall the most screen time together mm-hmm. uh overall you know than any other pairing of characters uh and in in its i i think it was a, it was a brilliant casting move because you don't assume anything of her mm-hmm. you know I mean, I think if you put a a more prominent actress in that part and then, you know, you you have certain expectations, you know, of, of who they are, you know, what they'll do. But whereas, you know, she's kind of a blank slate, which which works in the character's favor. <laughs> and I can I can hear if there is anyone listening who hasn't seen the movie, I can I can I can already tell they're hearing you say this and thinking, aha, she must be the killer because she's supposed to be unassuming. But again, I want to reiterate, don't, if for, if for some reason you're still listening to this and haven't seen this movie, don't, don't think you know how things are going to play out because I think, it it's, really, I think it's entirely possible that people could, you know, figure it out or, you know, figure out what, what's really going on. Well, that's uh, part of the thing because you're not just trying to figure out who done it. You're trying to figure out how and why a whole series of events happened right motive is as like motive is is really more important than you know than the the specific i mean it, you know like we said earlier he diffuses the whole uh well here's how he really died almost immediately within the course of things it's it's motive that matters more than anything else uh, and we've got Chris Evans around, who actually maybe is the biggest male movie star on the planet, and nothing here to dissuade us from thinking that. He plays a very un-Captain America role, and he's great in it. Oh, he just, he is, abs- you can tell, just every second he is on on screen, relishing this opportunity. I think he liked playing to- an asshole. Oh, he absolutely just just loves playing this absolute slime ball and it, and it's just it's it's wonderful it's a trip it's it's so much fun you know i hope he i hope he gets more character type roles like this in the future i really do do you have a favorite murder mystery who done it style film stuart uh yeah i do actually uh it's robert altman's long goodbye um uh, that i mean that's just one of my my favorite movies period uh, one of my favorite movies. It's my favorite Elliot Gould performance. It's my favorite Robert Altman film. Um, it's just absolutely brilliant, uh, brilliant detective story. I mean, just, just, I, I, I love the, you know, the ways that, that Altman kind of deconstructs the, uh, you know, the Raymond Chandler, uh, tropes and everything in it. It's just, if you, if, if you haven't seen it, um, just, find a way to watch it it's just it's it's so good did you see the long twitter thread that ryan johnson posted where he put pictures of all the movie posters that were hanging up in his editing space while they were editing i did not i missed that it's it's like movies he took inspiration of you should go back and look it's very interesting it's a lot too it's like a 
10 or 12 what looked to be original movie posters from oh, nice. sort of, you know, the genre over the years. And one of the films he included on that thread, which absolutely delighted me, was The Private Eyes, which is a Tim Conway, Don Knotts comedy from the early to mid 80s. Did you ever <laughs> see that movie, Stu? Uh, I may have. You're a little younger than me, so I, you may not. Uh, yeah, have. I mean, I, I am a little bit younger, but I mean, my parents also loved Tim Conway. So, um, and you know, I mean, Don Knotts was a, a staple of a ton of stuff that I watched. So it's, it's not impossible that so I saw it. Private Eyes was a HBO staple when I was like in elementary school. And I swear to God, it was my favorite movie. Like I, it's. Tim Conway and Don Knotts play their usual bumbling selves and they get their detectives and they get called out to a mansion, which I believe is the Biltmore estate. And they're asked to solve a murder mystery. And there are, you know, again, they're bumbling around. It's the typical type of comedy you'd expect from those two, but it's like a, at the, at least at the time to my elementary school self, it's a super interesting mystery. And there are like secret passageways. And it's, I just, <laughs> I love that movie to death. I remember playing private eyes in the schoolyard with like elementary <laughs> school friends. And then it like vanished. Like I, you can't stream private eyes. I, don't know if it's on dvd i've never seen it anywhere it might have had a short dvd release at some point it's like it's just like one of those sort of movies that wasn't a big hit and is you know 40 years old or whatever now and it's just so many of those movies are disappearing and it's it's kind of hard to find maybe there's a way i can stream it somewhere i don't know i'd love to rewatch it now i haven't seen it in 30 years probably but i mean i bet i saw when i was eight i bet you can I get it on movie. it's on amazon on dvd for like i mean you got to pay 20 bucks for it but it's probably out of print but that's still not bad for an out of print dvd but i i haven't even thought about that movie in a long time and to see ryan johnson posted in his list of movie posters that were inspiring him i thought ah, uh, no, it's on it's on blu-ray actually right there we go the private eyes is on blu-ray i got to track that down um i i'd love to watch it but props to ryan for giving giving Don Knotts and Tim Conway's in love. <laughs> All right, Stu, are you ready for a final question? Let's go. Actually, before we get to that, we are both wholeheartedly recommending Knives Out. If you like mysteries, if you like really good sort of colorful acting, please go see this movie. And it's something it, like it's something that like it's not a family movie per se, but it's something, you know, that you can take your mom or your. Yeah, it's PG-13. You know, it's fine for older kids. Yeah, and uncle, older kids. It's yeah. and it's it's doing really well. I mean, it was the I mean, it's not making Frozen 2 money, but it was kind of the box office surprise this weekend. And it's, you know, that that's good. I mean, part of the reason I, part I, of the I, reason we do this podcast is because we want to see movies like this have more success. And to see this one, this one doesn't even need this podcast the first to see this one come out of the box and do so well for a sort of non-IP, non-franchise film. It's really heartening. I'm, I'm glad for no other reason, because I would have sat in that same theater right there and watched another two or three Benoit Blanc movies. I mean, we're going to uh, get them, right? Hours. They're going to do them now. I, I hope so. Uh, the I movie's really already, so. it already made back its budget. It like made back its budget over opening weekend. Dan, Daniel Craig is a big enough star at this point where if he's like, yeah, I'm going to do another one, you know, a studio will throw, you know, that's the other thing. We talk about Chris Evans being happy. How happy does Daniel Craig have to be to have a movie that's kind of in the zeitgeist a little bit that's not James Bond? Oh, I'm sure he's thrilled. Because he hasn't had the most success box office-wise outside of James Bond. And to kind of be in a movie that a lot of people are talking about and a lot of people are really liking, that's got to feel good for him. Oh, Especially, absolutely. you know, he's had supposed franchise starters like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo that have gone nowhere. 
where this one, maybe we do get the Bonwa Blanc franchise. All right, last question. Will Ryan Johnson's new Star Wars trilogy ever get made? Yeah. Are you sure? I okay. I'm leaning Whether, toward I'm leaning toward no. If if we're talking about a trilogy, I don't know about a trilogy. Okay, I think the, the he, one movie is Ryan Johnson going to make another Star Wars movie. Yes, I think so. Man, I'm if, not I'm not sure. If the last Jedi hadn't been as, you know, hugely successful as it was, uh I would say probably not. Given the, you know, Given, given the way that certain sections of the fandom reacted to it or whatever. <clears throat> but yeah, no, I, I think he'll make at least, an, at least one more. So here's what I think. When, when Benioff and Weiss, the Game of Thrones guys, when their Star Wars movie was sort of scrapped or delayed or whatever, I mean, they're off of it. I guess that movie's done. I assumed it would be Ryan Johnson's pushed forward. But that's not really what's happened. Uh, it's still well, they haven't they haven't really established what's happened. Uh, it still seems like Ryan Johnson, whatever he's working on, is sort of this nebulous thing. I think I did read that it's not going to be next, but I could be incorrect about that. It's uh, there. There it's, hasn't, like I said, there. I mean, it's, it's kind of it's kind of muddied by the whole. Oh, hey, Kevin Feige is going to help make one now, and I feel like they're more focused on that one. But I don't know how you can say that. Like, nobody said that. Nobody I, okay. has, has indicated anything. That, that may way. be. And maybe just because the news of Kevin Feige's making a Star Wars movie. It's certainly more new. And honestly, I mean, I could see that happening. I could see his, I could see them, you know, kind of wanting to lead off more with his just because it's like, hey, you know, he, I mean, it's, uh, you know, who, who wouldn't want the Feige touch added, added to Star Wars? You know, so it would kind of make sense. It's like, all right, you know, we're, we're done with the Skywalker saga. Uh, you know, let's, let's do this one, uh, you know, you know, completely not connected story to give people kind of like a palate cleanser in a way so that we can, you know, move on to something completely different. So here's what you need to think about. If you, if you're Ryan Johnson and you still have the ability to walk away from this after all the abuse he takes online, which isn't right and it isn't fair. And it's fine if you don't like The Last Jedi, but there's no point in abusing a filmmaker online. But is it worth going through all that again or ratcheting back up that back up again? I mean, he has to say, do I get to go make another Star Wars movie to prove these assholes wrong? Or can I just walk away from this and not have to deal with this nonsense anymore? And the fact that he has a certified hit now in Knives Out, does that give him... More of a reason to go back to Star Wars? Does that give Kathleen Kennedy more of a reason to give this guy whatever he wants to do a new Star Wars trilogy? Or does that give them an excuse to just part ways and for Ryan Johnson to think, you know what? I don't need the spotlight on me. I have another hit that's not Star Wars. I'm going to be fine. Let me go where my passion takes me and not have to deal with this nonsense. I feel I like that's, I feel like that's very possible. I, it's, it's certainly possible. I, you know, I don't want to say that that is invalid and, you know, I mean, who could blame him? Right. Nobody could. No, nobody could. Despite the fact that he made a very good Star Wars movie. Just wanted to get that out there for the last time. I think that, and I think that if it were a different filmmaker, you know, of a different generation, he might more readily walk away. But you can tell that Ryan Johnson loves Star Wars. That's true. I mean, just loves it in his bones. And I think that, you know, yeah, I mean, it can't have been easy to, uh, you know, to wade through and put up with and, 
you know, defend every, you know, this, this very good star Wars movie that he made. Uh, you know, but I, I think that, you know, I mean, honestly, like, I mean, <laughs> this is kind of a dumb thing to say because I will never make a star Wars movie. I mean, that's just, you know, we can make a fan, we can make a fan films too. Nothing's, um, st- nothing's yes, stopping I, us. I, I will, I will never have to, to, to endure even, you know, a minuscule fraction of the abuse that he, uh, has endured. You only take abuse from me. Right. Not thousands. Which, you know, has its levels. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I love Star Wars so much that I can honestly say it's like, I don't know, I'd have a hard time walking away from it if I loved it that much. If I loved it, if I loved it as much as I think Ryan Johnson does, you know, I, I don't know that he would easily walk away from it. I mean, he certainly could. It's entirely possible. I don't know. I, but I, 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 I would, right lean, now, I would lean toward him, uh, staying on if, you know, if, if they let him. I think right now my gut tells me it's 65% chance that he ends up walking away. And I think Knives Out being a big hit only makes it more likely. If um, if, if Knives Out was a huge runaway hit, that be that would be one thing. But this this was a nice hit. It's you know, it's Yeah, it's, but for the type of movie it's, it is, it's, it's, it's probably much, the it's biggest as much of a hit. It looks like it's about the biggest it could possibly be. I mean, it's, it's not it's, going to be Marvel. It's it's know. as much of a hit as it needed to be, but I don't think that it's so huge that it's you know there's no way that they're not you know just automatically working on a script for a sequel to come out you know uh, in a year and a half or something like that. Um, listen, and I I hope he does go through and make another Star Wars movie, and I you know I, I, we've talked about just stick Dave Filoni and and John Favreau in charge of all of it at this point. But in lieu of that, I am totally down for more Ryan Johnson Star Wars movies, and I am also totally down for more of the unfranchised podcasts. Uh, what do we have lined up, Stu? We're going to do in the Tall Grass, right? We are going to do in the Tall Grass, which is a Netflix film. Based on a Stephen King Joe, a short story by Stephen King and his son Joe Hill, which Stephen King's kind of a franchise upon into himself, but we can still do this, right. right Stu, we're we're still we're still going to count it as a member of the unfranchised. And uh, what's your action movie you want to do, Stu? Uh, there is a, a new film by director uh, Zhang Yimou called Shadow. Uh, it recently showed up uh, streaming online. He is the director of Hero and House of Fallen Leaves. I like me some Hero. Hero is just absolutely wonderful, just a, a beautiful movie. I was watching uh, a little bit of it the other day. I love that movie. This looks, you know, just... Uh, have you seen the trailer for it? I have not. It is uh, very stark uh, and, you know, monochrome in, in the precise opposite way of what Hero is. But it it looks fantastic. I, I can't wait to watch that one and and talk about it because nice. uh, this guy is a great director. You know, puts out great stuff. So yeah, should be good. All right, thanks again for listening, everyone, and we will hopefully catch you as you listen to one of those upcoming episodes. See you then. The Unfranchised is a film podcast produced by the staff of CultSpark.com and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. If you enjoy our show, please subscribe and leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. Your support is essential in our ability to highlight smaller films by growing our audience. You can follow our hosts on Twitter at Robert B. Taylor and at StubbyDoo. For updates on The Unfranchised, please follow the show on Twitter at The Unfranchised. 
or follow CultSpark on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at CultSpark. You can email us at theunfranchised at cultspark.com. Visit cultspark.com for print reviews and essays on films in the horror, sci-fi, fantasy, action, and noir genre.